This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Freddie Freeman, Anthony Rizzo. There's a couple pretty likable baseball players, right? Their little rivalry that's gone on. Mm. Rizzo yelling, get back here, Frederick. Then he struck him out, didn't he? Rizzo, I believe, struck him out. Tony Gwynn and Kirby Puckett. Those are two pretty likable baseball players. Don't know many people that have much bad to say about Tony Gwynn. Gwynn was on a team that largely never won, though, right? Puckett was... 84, they made the playoffs. And they did make a World Series in, what was it, 98 against the Yankees, I think, that they went up against them. That was towards the end of his career. Kirby Puckett, those Twins teams were were very good, but maybe it's because it's Minnesota. Does anyone really hate a team from Minnesota? I don't think that... I don't think anybody's been ever ever able to dislike that place, which has a very uh, high percentage of people who are quite polite. <laughs> it's got a lot of similarities with Seattle and the in the Seattle nice, the passive aggressive. Yeah, 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 it's pretty funny. Except for they got they got cute accents. <laughs> it is Danny and Gallant. Uh, the Mariners over the weekend take two of three against the Angels, and look, this is. You're at a point in the season now where you're just stacking up wins in series, right? You win two out of three. You ask no questions. You feel pretty good about it. They're now seven games above 500. The best thing to happen to them over the course of the weekend is what happened yesterday. Logan, Logan Gilbert might be your best starting pitcher right now. That's no. great news now. It's great news for the future. Is it might? I mean, I, I think it's definitive, right? I mean, he has, I think, overtaken Yusei Kikuchi. And yeah, there's some recency bias involved there, but... With Kikuchi, the last two starts, and I would specifically point to that start against the Yankees where you're looking to him to be the stopper after that loss that they had the night before, and he just didn't look ready for it. And then the next game, it's Logan Gilbert who comes out and just made a bunch of Yankees look like idiots at the plate. Do you do you view baseball in terms of week-long increments, game-by-game increments? How do you see it? Because Kikuchi's, Kikuchi's been their most consistent pitcher outside, and the only— Really, his last two starts have been about the only times that he hasn't gotten deeper in games or shown any signs of trouble. Flexen deserves honorable mention because he also has been very consistent. But um, yeah, I, I would say week to week more so. I, I think that's an easier way to look at it. It's almost to, I guess, make a comparison to an NFL season. One week's worth of games is the equivalent of one football game. For me, I think with a pitcher especially... I find myself looking more at how they get their outs, how they get through it. And this is probably why Flexen I lo- Flexen is the kind of pitcher every rotation needs. Like every rotation needs a guy who's stuff-wise, swing and miss, those sort of things, isn't going to be at the top of the standings. He's not going to be a coveted pitcher for all of that, but he gets you late into games and he's competitive. Marco Gonzalez is the best example of this. Not this year's Marco, but the past couple years of Someone who's just a bad look. I love what Chris Flexen's doing. But the guys with swing and miss stuff on this staff, it's been Yusei Kikuchi, and, and now it's, it's Logan Gilbert. And it feels like those two have flopped primarily because of the amount of swings and misses they're getting now. And, and Gilbert, who started off and maybe didn't have as fast an introduction as I expected him to, I expected him to be tougher to hit right out of the gate. And not that he was bad, but he wasn't good right. either, right? He was just... He was he was making respectable big league starts, which is an awful lot for a rookie. Now he look if he's not eh, no. Yesterday was dominant. You strike out five of your first six batters you face. You you, you strike out you, that how he looked. You said a career. He was that was a dominant start yesterday, no doubt. 
And in context, when you look at Yusei Kikuchi's last couple of starts, Saturday, and then that start against the Yankees, where there was a lack of confidence maybe there, you maybe understand now what that lack of confidence could be stemming from. He feels like his fastball velocity has dropped, and he credits potentially, or blames potentially, the I guess struggles, I'm blaming the struggles, that's a little bit hard. But he did say that fatigue, now that he's getting into the summer months, that might be a factor in some of those recent struggles, too. That's worrisome for me. We'll get to Yusei Kikuchi in just a second. Here's Scott Service talking about this is after yesterday's game and where Logan Gilbert, the only two runs that he allowed, they they were credited to him, but they scored after he left the game. And a a freshly shorn and well-tended JT Chagois, right? Yeah. He was looking. I didn't recognize him. I was like, that's not so Shagwa came into. The, but the Mariners, the only two runs that were allowed, he he wasn't on the hill for them. Here's Scott Service on Logan Gilbert. It's crazy. I don't even look at Logan as a rookie anymore. You know, he gets 10 starts under his belt. He's just so composed. and He's got such a good game plan when he walks out there uh, every inning, you know, trying to make a few adjustments. He, like I said, he lost the field for the changeup. Uh, he got after the fastball and was able to, to get the ball by Walsh there for a strikeout. So, uh, says a lot about his development, where he's at. Again, I thought Tom Murphy did an excellent job with it today. Whatever it is that's happening right now, I feel like with time he's just going to get more confident. And when you have one pitch that really can make guys look like complete sliders, tough pitch, isn't it? Yeah, you combine you combine his slider with that high heat. And he, yesterday he was sit. I mean, he was consistently checking in at ninety seven miles an hour. I, that is that is some velocity there. If he gets the changeup dialed in, which you saw, he didn't really have much faith in it. And when he ended up walking Shohei Otani to load the base, he ended up getting out of that jam. I don't think he had Jerry Depoto. Th- they think his changeup can be his best pitch if he ever gets that dialed in. Now let's turn the page to Yusei Kikuchi. I'm not worried, but my radar went up when you flagged this quote. Like I'm not I'm not worried, but I was like, ooh, I don't like to hear that. When the quote that you found about his his fastball, not the velocity wasn't where he wanted, and that he thought it might be a little fatigue. Right, he said that through his uh, interpreter on Saturday. The velocity's down and fatigue getting into the summer months. And remember, last year he did not pitch a full season because no one pitched a full season last year. So I do think that is something just noteworthy to keep tabs on for all of these guys who maybe pitched a full slate of games last year, but. This year, you know, right now we're 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 already past that point of sixty game season. So, I I, I wonder about that velocity tr- diminishing as the year goes along. And and he is someone that, as as Jerry Depoto told us uh, on Thursday in the Jerry Depoto show, he is a guy that very much is about his his process and and his routine. And when he doesn't feel like he can get into it, that's one of the things that maybe leads him to do what he did. You know. But the All-Star game where he was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I was sick for a couple of days. I'm not 100% sure that I can get back into it. So hopefully he's able to find that routine, whatever it is, and maybe that helps with the velocity. But the idea of him as a this workhorse kind of tank right now, that is definitely in question, I think, just based off the last couple. Well, he was the Mariners' only All-Star, though. He didn't appear in that game, and I guess technically it wasn't on the roster, though. He was there and in uniform. Uh, the Mariners have today off. They resume. They have two more games in Colorado on this road trip. That's Tuesday and, and Wednesday. 
Marco Gonzalez is going to be on the mound tomorrow night. He'll be going against Armand Marquez. We'll talk a lot about this tomorrow because this is a big second half for Marco. They, if if the Mariners if the Mariners are going to finish above five hundred, if they're going to pay off this start, and Marco Marco is going to need to be better in the second half. He's and, and some of that is going to be because you say Kikuchi, the possibility that he won't be as good in the second half as he's been in the first half. Part of it's because Marco's been one of the best statistical pitchers in the league over the past three years, and and he he's looked different this year, and and yeah. hopefully, hopefully that will change over the course of it. But that's he's going to be someone that you're going to want and need a big second half from, especially if the Mariners are going to not just finish above five hundred, but hopefully make a push toward the playoffs. Over the weekend, Larry Stone wrote a column in the Seattle Times about Seattle's Legion of Boom, and it was something that occurred to me last week with with the coverage of Richard Sherman's arrest, in that we've now got three of the four members of that secondary who really set the tone for this defense and kind of were the identity of this defense who have encountered significant, significant struggles isn't the right word, and there's been criminal allegations, a conviction that's missed, missed, mixed in there. Earl Thomas, who's fought with a teammate, who had police called after his wife pointed a gun that she thought wasn't loaded but was loaded at him. Now, there's nothing criminal Earl was accused of that night. It was his wife that was arrested, but there was a subsequent uh, restraining order after he showed up at, at, his, at, his, at his own home um, intoxicated in, in, in December. Like, there's a lot of reason to be concerned. And Larry's point was that it kind of makes you feel and think a little bit differently and ask different questions. I I found myself wondering, do you end up giving Pete Carroll sort of credit for managing those personalities? Because for all of the different things that there were none of those, as far as we know, nothing like that happened while those three guys were playing for Seattle and they were both years removed from being on Seattle's roster. Does, Does it make you feel that Pete was great at managing that or does it, make you wonder about either some of the the types of player empowerment that happen here in Seattle and about how that served guys later in life. How do you end up looking at the, the, the legacy of those players? I look at them as a collection of extreme personalities. I mean, Cam Chancellor is what the, the reserved one, right? Yeah. Of, of all those guys. And, I do give Pete a lot of credit for being able to get the most out of those guys and try to get the most out of many other players who clearly have been maybe headaches elsewhere, whether it's Percy Harvin, where it didn't quite work out so well, but Mm -hmm. Golden Tate, uh, Michael Bennett. There's a lot of guys that you, you could point to and say, somehow he made it work here, and you would think that some of those personalities could potentially disrupt an entire locker room, especially if the coach isn't going to come down heavy on them. I, I don't know if there was also an element of those guys policing themselves and sort of creating their own standard that they felt everyone needed to, pl- to play up to, because that is a part of that dynamic of the Legion of Boom. You know, they had that rule where you can't even, you can't, you can't be carried off the field, <laughs> where you could have like your ankle flapping around or something like that, but you have to actually walk your way off. So, they deserve credit for installing that too. I, I don't know that you can say it's all Pete, but Pete does somehow find a way to make that work. And a lot more difficult to do that, I would say, at the NFL level than at the college level, where you still have a little bit of power just comparatively. And there's also a different obligation. 
I always feel that NFL teams get criticized or praised too much for the behavior of their players. Like you're an employer. Like the ultimately the decision on on behavior comes down to the player. Like you, you can you can criticize a team for the the players if they if they choose to draft or sign someone in spite of previous criminal allegations or criminal charges. I, I think it's fair to to wonder about the criteria for employment and like, hey, what what kinds of things are you willing to overlook for an individual's football talent? But I, I've always stayed away from, and I just don't buy it that an employer is responsible for the behavior of their their employees away from the job. That's that that that's the individuals. With with Pete, I've always wondered about he, so much of his approach is about empowering the players and about making them feel comfortable and supported. And, and loved and all of those things, which are really good traits. There's also part of me that's wondered if that can create players who can't be told differently. That makes them very, very headstrong. And that, that might not necessarily serve some players better well in, in the rest of their lives. That, and you've seen, you've seen guys who become very stubborn. And it, usually it ends up with them being employed somewhere else. And I'm not saying that's a straight line to criminal conduct. But... Of that that sort of headstrong personality that Pete has shown an ability to work with them, but that that might sort of reinforce some negative, some behavior patterns that away from the field aren't aren't entirely positive. Oh no doubt, I, I, it's it's one of those things where you can take advantage of it, or you can see all of the benefits of it and and draw a line somewhere. And that's why it didn't work out for him the first time around in New England because they were coming from a coach who was such a hardo uh, from Bill Parcells to Pete Carroll. Like the, they didn't know how to handle it. You know, I think they were so used to the authoritarianism that they kind of rejected it. And then when Belichick came back in, um, they were willing to accept it because it was something that they had seen before and seen that it had worked. And it's funny because it's avant-garde what Pete was doing back then players just didn't really know really what to do with it do you think pete's different now than he was then or do you think he's the same dude i think he has learned some things that make him a more effective leader but he's probably for the most part the same especially i mean you go to usc and you get confirmation that your style does work in a way and then you go to the next level and 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 you're confident probably that you can make it happen at that nfl level but usc is so different because a college the coach has so much more control than they do in the pros and in, in the pros, you don't you don't have the ability. And what what's what's jumped out is Pete has been able to work with and win with players who have either worn out their welcome other places or haven't thrived. You look at how many guys have had their best years of their careers when they've been with Pete. It's striking. Marshawn Lynch was on his way out of the league. Like Marshawn Lynch was yeah. given away by Buffalo because he wasn't. And he's a he's a Hall of Fame player now. The number of guys who have thrived at their best, even people that doesn't have anything to do with any sort of citizenship or off the field. Byron Maxwell played his best football twice when he was with Seattle. Like that's he he tends to get the best out of people. It's also you start to see other guys who have when when they stop playing for Seattle, it gets not just on the field sort of declines that they can experience. It's something that I, I find myself thinking about. I don't have any definitive answers, but I, that was something that was triggered in my thought process reading Larry Stone's uh, column over the weekend. It is Danny and Gallant. It's time for us to go around the NFL. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant. What's up? That was a blunt one. Quick, blunt, to the point. 
Are the Mariners not seven games over 500? Have I been speaking that lie all morning? I like to believe it's true. I thought they were. I thought they were five games over 500. Uh, that would be six. They dropped two and lost one. Six. My seven, math's bad. Same thing. There's six games over 500. Radio My math. bad. My fault. <laughs> all right, guys. First up, uh, Cowboys uh, lineman Randy Gregory told Dan Pompey of The Athletic that he felt he was robbed of a year because of the defensive staff's fondness of Alden Smith. He said, quote, I felt there was a little bit of favoritism going on, refusing to let me outshine their favorite. I don't know, man. If you forfeit multiple years of your career because you can't stop smoking weed, I don't think you get to (laughs) complain about a coach choosing to play a different player. Just call me crazy, and I'm generally someone that, like, doesn't think bad of people that choose to smoke. But you chose to continue in a behavior that you knew was going to prevent you from playing. So can you get mad at your coaches? Like, you cost me a year of my career because you thought Alden Smith was better than me. Well, you cost us two years of your performance because you decided you wanted to get high. Also, think about this. Alden Smith, by all accounts, remember how much Jay Glazer had been saying this? Probably showed up to Cowboys camp looking like an absolute unit. And they probably saw that and they were like, this guy's hungry. And they look at Randy Gregory and they say all the things to themselves that you just laid out, Danny, where you wonder about his actual commitment. Weirdly, I guess Jerry Jones was still advocating for him to the coaching staff. And maybe after Alden Smith kind of fell off his play after the big game that he had against the Seahawks, maybe that was one of the reasons why. They did stick with Alden Smith very long last season. And that's one of the things I wonder about Alden Smith this season is that uh, forget about the legal matter that we're talking about. Dallas let him walk, and they didn't They didn't really care that much. And he was not someone that would have required a whole lot of money to re-sign. So I wonder what that says about Alden Smith and the, the second half of the year that he had with the Cowboys. There's so many things that I wish you could bet on. Like this. I bet that we will talk four times as much about Alden Smith in the offseason than during the actual season. Probably. And we've had a bunch of people texting in today. What's the latest with Alden Smith? Who cares? He had an arraignment scheduled July 14th, but then I haven't heard anything. I don't know if that got postponed or... I haven't either. I hope for his sake... He's he is in the bucket with Josh Gordon for me. Where hey, nothing personal. I hope that those guys stay squared away, and for their own sake, like I hope nothing bad happens and they stay sober. But I'm not holding my breath of saying like, oh God, I hope this guy could stay sober because he's going to save the Seahawks. Like hey, wish you the best. If you're available, we'll see. But I'm not spending. I'm, I'm not. I'm not spending any time wondering about. Oh, I wonder what's happening with him. Right, 49ers cornerback Jimmy Ward, maybe possibly throwing a little shade at Matt Stafford. Uh, He was talking to Sports Illustrated, and he said, I like Stafford, but they still will have the same players that he'll be throwing the ball to. He's the same quarterback who was on the Detroit Lions, and they still didn't go to the playoffs, and they had Megatron. What was the problem over there in Detroit? Are you going to blame the city? What was the problem? Was it the money? If the city didn't have enough money to bring players over there, why even have an NFL team? That's a big question mark. (laughs) What a line at the end. And, and and preach. I will say this, though. Ward did say Stafford is a top 10 quarterback also. Yeah, he did go on to kind of try to hold on. backtrack a little. Is Jimmy Ward good enough to do that? And maybe I underrate Jimmy Ward because there's some 49er f- fans that are friends of mine that like him. I thought he's meh. Am I wrong? 
Is he pretty good defensive? Like, is he is he good enough that he can pass judgment on the overall worthiness of Detroit as an NFL locale? Maybe, but I like it. I think anyone honestly can when it comes to the premise of Detroit as an NFL locale. I think that is totally fair game. They have been a joke for such a long period of time. But when I think of Jimmy Ward, Danny, I think of the one Tex- or Texans training camp practice I went to where he and DeAndre Hopkins fought. Like, I don't think of him as a player. Just remember them. Just how did he acquit himself in said fight? Uh, he did, he he technically won the fight. Oh really? He technically won the fight. Yes, he he brought he brought Hopkins down. It was like the second play of practice, and uh, both Hopkins and Ward got kicked out afterwards. It was a joint practice between the Texans and 49ers. He played in Is 14 the- games last year. He had 73 combined tackles, two forced fumbles, no interceptions. Eh. Plus, he spells his name with an I E. Is that a problem? <laughs> Well, I, I generally think you go with a Y, right? The, J- Jimmy with the IE is a little is a little different. Although someone who goes by Danny probably has no uh, right to be casting any shade upon the the spelling choices of another. I can't think of one Danny though that goes by IE. And no, yeah. I can think of like one with an I, like a D A N I. I know a couple, but uh, D A those are ladies, right? Correct. Those are ladies. A Danny with a D A N N I E. You're trying too hard. Well, this is a good segue to our next story. Oh, spelling of names? We're talking nicknames. Okay. Uh, Touchdown Wire ranked the 101 greatest NFL nicknames of all time, and Beast Mode came in at number five. Beast Mode's a good nickname. Think you can guess any of the nicknames ahead of him? Megatron. No. Really? Primetime? No. Primetime didn't get top five? Wow. I would have guessed that would be number one. So, Walter Payton's sweetness is number one. Oh, sweetness is a good one. Uh, uh, oh, I know, I know. Human hoagie. No. <laughs> Who's that? This is Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> He's the embodiment uh, uh, of a hoagie. I would say soup sandwich. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, <laughs> Joe Namath, Broadway Joe's number two. <laughs> Broadway uh, Joe's good nick- nickname. This one wasn't well known to me. Frank Gore, The Inconvenient Truth is number no, three. No, that's a terrible Awful. nickname. It's too long. <laughs> I've never heard him called that once. I've never heard him called That's that either. That's the third greatest nickname Get out of all here. time. Who, who made this list? Were they five? And then Honey Badger got number four. Oh, come on. <laughs> this list sucks. Uh, number six is William Perry, the refrigerator. I think he should Yeah, the refrigerator's higher. a good one. Yeah. Fridge is great. Fridge is then good. he had a brother who was the freezer. Prime Michael time. Michael Perry. Prime time. Like, that's, that's yeah, number prime time. one. Prime There's time a brand. Up there. What about Bad Moon? I've never heard that one that. either for War Moon. Uh, Andre Bad Moon Rising? Oh, no. Well, really old school number Jeez, eight, Elroy Crazy Daddy Legs Rising. <laughs> Come on, Dale. <laughs> Come on, bro. The Inconvenient Truth. That's such crap. <laughs> <laughs> That's like if you go to Pro Football Reference, you can look up basically any player on that website, and they'll have all these nicknames that supposedly exist for – all sorts of quarterbacks across and players across mean? the league. I have the no idea. The Inconvenient Truth. Isn't that Al Gore's stupid book? <laughs> well, and did a did lot of people call Peyton Manning the sheriff? The sheriff. Because that was because I, I yeah, called him the sheriff. Because I like to Gruden, overkill everything. Yeah, Gruden, Gruden, Gruden drove that one into the ground. It was absolutely brutal. Lance Allworth was nicknamed Bambi. I mean, Who? that's good, but that's what? We're talking about a random... Is that the Chargers wide receiver? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> Some weird. It's Danny and Gallant. Simba's had enough of the inconvenient <laughs> truth. Mitch Haniger has been the Mariners' best player. He's on a tear. Is he hitting his way out of town? We'll tell you next.
You're listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Mitch Hanniger's hit safely in his past nine games. He had a walk-off grand slam. He had a, what, a three-run homer that he hit on Saturday after that game had kind of gotten out of control, but the Mariners threatened to make it interesting in the ninth inning. He had a home run and a double in Friday night's game, which the Mariners started off. He's been Seattle's best all-around player. He's been fairly consistent. Like, he is, he is from from the start of this season, coming back, he missed a year and a half of time since suffering the injury, which shall not be named. He's been, been awesome. He's also got now a year and a half left on his contract, and there's kind of some question about how he fits into Seattle's future. Do, do you have any, any, any uncertainty about what you would want to do? Would you, would you be tempted to move him at any point this season? He's never going to have higher value than he has right now, and especially with how he is playing. As things ramp up towards the trade deadline, that is something that you got to keep in mind, but you're not likely to get anyone that's going to help you out the rest of this year if you trade Mitch Hanniger at the end of this season. You're going to take a step back, hoping that's some young prospect that you might get. And by the way, you might get an incredible prospect with the way that he's playing, but you would be hoping and banking on that guy eventually being really good. And that's not going to be a good look, I would say, organizationally, because it does make it look like you're kicking your can down the road as far as actually wanting to contend. But that's the tricky thing with Hanniger right now is, again, he's he's playing at a level that I, I don't know that he'll be able to do again. And just in the last couple of weeks, his his batting average has jumped by 10 points plus. He's got a nine-game hitting streak going on. He hit two home runs over the weekend against the Angels, who he seems to particularly thrive against. So it's a difficult, I think, question. Optimally, Danny, because you aren't paying anyone right now, it should not be that hard to stomach the idea of a couple-year extension for Mitch Hanniger. The problem is, though, that because of how he's playing right now, you would likely have to offer him something that's $100 million or so, and are you willing to do that? Right, and he might be of the opinion, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to see how this plays. Like, when I'm healthy, I'm an all-star player, and I'm rebuilding value, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm rebuilding my value, and another year at this – I don't want to settle for for what I can get right now, where if I stack up another year and a half of this kind of production, like I really might be asking for exactly what George Springer got. My opinion has been, I don't want the Mariners to move on from him because they fear being unable to resign him. I'd love for them to extend him, even if they can extend him. I don't want them to move for move him for what they can get because right now they're a team that's bordering. They're a good team right now that's threatening to be interesting in the playoff chase in the second half of this season and could be a really good team next year. I, I don't want to move on from him just because you fear that he'll be gone at the end of 2022. The idea of what would you have to get to be willing to to move on from the guy that's been your best all-around player, the, the athletic Corey Brock who covers the team, he's let me run this trade by you okay. because it's... It might be the, the best example of, of what you could get, a theoretical deal. So Mitch Haniger goes to the Padres. The Mariners get left-handed pitcher Adrian Morahone. He's 22 years old. He just had Tommy John surgery. So he's not going to be around this year. He could be back next year. He had the, the surgery happened in April, but he's someone who's been a top 100 prospect. You get infielder Tucupita Marcano. 
He's 21 years old. Versatility, he's got a pretty good bat. He's the prospect. And then you get Will Myers, who's an outfielder that you would plug in in the spot that Hanniger's playing right now. And the upside, you're not going to have to pay Myers. You're going to get him basically for free this year and next. The term that you get him instead of Hanniger and you get two prospects to boot. So Will Myers, who's not nearly as good a player, but is a serviceable outfielder, and you plug in in right field and wait until Julio Rodriguez is ready. Jim Bowden, who's a former Major League Baseball GM and and works at The Athletic, re- reviewed it and said, this is a trade I pulled the trigger on right away. I don't know, man. You're not getting better. You're not getting better on the field this season. If you you're getting, getting a guy a, who's you're getting a guy who's coming off an injury and then a prospect, you're taking flyers. I would not want to replace an outfielder with an outfielder in the short term either. I, I would want to get some sort of starting pitcher out of this. And like right now, starting pitcher, not a couple of years. Let's see what happens after Tommy John surgery. I want a guy now. And yeah, that maybe isn't the best approach, but I do think that the Mariners do have to consider optics as far as just the overall rebuild of things. You can't keep saying, all right, next year, next year, because it's been a couple of years at that. And yes, the pandemic affected it, but it's not just the pandemic that is affecting that either. It's also 20 years of frustration. That's a good point where you are sending a message at this point, right? If if you this team has been a surprising success and I say that not based on the expectations internally or among the clubhouse but most people expected this team to have a losing record. Most people expected this team to lose 95 games. They're 6 games above 500 right now. They've been one of the better surprises. There are a lot of reasons to feel very optimistic. If you do something that costs your on-field product right now and might help your on-field product next year, that might be tough for some people to swallow at this point, and it might be difficult to pass along in the clubhouse itself. It would definitely be difficult to pass on in the clubhouse, too. Yeah, you're right. Great point. Because you want to continue to make these guys believe that there are standards that need to be met and raised every single season here. And I, I just I bring this example up a lot, and it's a different sport, but... You do not want to find yourself in a situation like I think Philadelphia has in basketball, where losing was okay. Yeah, I agree. You don't want to. You don't want to gut your culture. I, I think teams that teams that rebuild that way. I I think there's a certain amount of moral decay that comes with that, like not just morale, but I think that making the decision and and having players see that you're okay with losing. I I, I think there's a tax that comes with that Definitely. that you pay for years beyond when you do it. I, I I think that that's a problem, and I think it affects that players know that the people in the front office, the people in the front office aren't necessarily always going to do everything they can to win. That they they've got a bigger picture that goes beyond the players that they're paying, and and I I think I think that does cause a little bit of rot. And in this case, if you if you trade Mitch Haniger because you think he's going to be too expensive, what does that say about? The ability to pay a player, right? Yeah. The ability to pay a player and who you are in the, in the in the rankings, and also about the timeline. If if you're saying that okay, we're not, are you saying you're not going to be good in the next year and a half? Like, are you, are you saying if you trade him for someone and you're like, well, we like Mitch Haniger, we don't think this is necessarily making us better on the field right now. Are you saying that next year you're you're lessening your expectations because Will Myers isn't going to be as good a player as Mitch Haniger is next year? Like Mitch, Mitch Haniger, unless you're getting a, a player that is going to contribute more next season, aren't you better off keeping Mitch Haniger? Yes. This is a good text. I don't have a problem. He says hamburger. I think that's not a correct. Trading Haniger to the Padres in that package 
as long as you can get Nelson Cruz to replace his bat. I don't hate that idea, uh, but but at the same time, you are definitely affecting yourself in the short term for a guy that you do have not just this year, maybe next year, and maybe that's somebody that you want to have, Hanniger, in that season where you were supposedly close. I would, especially I don't know what's going to happen with Kyle Lewis. I don't know that Julio Rodriguez is going to be up particularly early in 2022. But there are other texts as well that, that, that bring this up, and I, I think this is what complicates the entire thing. Are you sure the Mariners are a good team? Peripherals and run differentials suggest otherwise. They could plummet quickly this year and next. This texter continues saying, what are the reasons to feel optimistic beyond three and four players? There are no sure bets on this roster. Rose-colored glasses. It's Danny Gallant. Yeah, I do have rose-colored glasses. I believe that this team is showing an ability and a toughness in its clubhouse to be able to win some of these games, and I don't think you undermine that culture. I don't think you undermine that culture by saying, oh, well, run differential says we're not as good as we look right now, so we're going to trade our best all-around player. It is Danny and Gallant. It's going to be time to raise flags. That's coming next. From the pocket, and flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. It's a time where we calmly review everything that has happened over the preceding three hours. Try to make sense of it. Highlight the negative. Accentuate the positive. Eliminate the negative flags. I'm going to start. I'm throwing a flag on Emmanuel Acho. I'm worried. I'm worried he's in danger of jumping the shark. Oh. Yeah. Really? I'm worried. I'm worried that he's in danger. But of don't we the like shark. him amongst all those speak for your pizza shows? It's getting it's getting dicey recently. Oh. He had the terrible weed take. He had the terrible weed take on potentially marijuana being a performance enhancer because it dis- de- detracts a negative. Because it subtracts and because it eliminates stress and therefore might make you better able to perform in the Olympic trials, which I was like, that is a person who has never spent much time trying to motivate someone who may be, who may be under partaking of that specific substance about being uh, get, getting up and at him. Um, here's, the, here's the latest one. Here's, I, this was his reaction to Richard Sherman and his – I don't know if it's an exploit. I don't know what to call what he said about about Richard Sherman. Just remember that your occupation is what you do and not who you are. Because if you let your occupation become who you are, then when you no longer do what it is that you do, you will have no idea who you are. Huh? huh? It sounds pretty philosophical. Can, can, can you play it again more? Because I still don't think I understand what the heck he's saying. Just remember that your occupation is what you do and not who you are. Because if you let your occupation become who you are, then when you no longer do what it is that you do, you will have no idea who you are. And remember that your occupation is what you do when you do the voodoo that you do. And if you let your occupation become doo-doo while you are doing it, then you will have no idea what to do to get out of the doo-doo. Is, <laughs> is that what he's saying? The second time I heard it, there's a there's a little truth there, isn't there? No! I, I would say applying it to Richard Sherman, I don't know about that. But the idea that maybe you can get too wrapped up into sure. your career, where yes. all of a sudden, say, in this game, for me, say I 
I don't know, got canned, right? And this is all I have done for legitimately 10, 11 years. And all of a so sudden, that's going to cause you to drink two. That's going to cause you to drink two fifths of alcohol. Drive from Maple Valley to Redmond. Wreck your car in an active construction zone, and then run the three miles and proceed to try to beat down the door after being bear sprayed, and then get bit by a dog. That's th- <laughs> those those two things are connected. Like you're telling me those two things are connected. Like Maybe no two fifths. No, usually, usually. Usually when you get too wrapped up in your job, you tend to burn out. You have some cra- – like, I mean, there's legitimate – but that doesn't result in criminality. And the other part is I don't actually think that this is an identity and occupational question for sure. I, 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 I think he has a hard time being told no. So it's, it sounds meaningful, and it's absolute bunk. It's garbage. I, I hear what you a, do, then I, you have no idea who you are. I, I hear a semblance of truth in that. But no, it just it just sounds good. It does sound good, and I mean, it's like someone saying it is what it is. Like that that's that says nothing. Sounds vaguely there's a, important. There's a little there's a little more to it, but I get where you're coming from because when you listen to it, it does sound insufferably. I know everything about life. Listen to me. The Emmanuel Acho. I, I think he has gotten a little bit high on the horse over the last couple of months. And I don't know if it's a result of that really annoying car commercial, but it might be. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. All right. Paul, what do you got? I'd prefer Matthew McConaughey just saying weird things while driving a Lincoln. That's, that Yes. That's See, but Matthew for. McConaughey is not posing himself as some sort of commentary on human motivation. He He's just is. doing weird stuff trying to sell Lincolns. I'll say this, though. I mean, McConaughey the other day was saying, like, America's going through puberty. You know, all right, all right. And uh, we've got to work through it. It's a child. And, uh, We'll get better someday. I mean, he's going down that deep path as well. Maybe this is just a byproduct of anyone who does a car commercial. Like, this is the danger. Or it's Texas, man. Texas. <laughs> Can we give Texas back to wherever it came from? I don't hate on my people. <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't know if that state is a net positive right now. I do. I think it is. Go, Texas. It's fantastic. And uh, it's also very hot this time of year. Uh, I am going to raise a flag. To a guy who I I think it would be really hard to find someone who actively roots against this guy. Giannis Antetokounmpo, over the last couple of games of the NBA Finals, even though he really struggles to make free throws, that's probably the one thing that bothers me. He takes so long to shoot them, and he misses most of them. But the last two games, he has the game-winning block of DeAndre Ayton. And then in... Game 5, a game-winning alley-oop, and after missing some free throws, tipping the ball up and getting the offensive rebound so that the Bucks were able to ice the game, has gotten me to the point where now I am rooting for him in the finals over Chris Paul, who, pettily, I want to see Chris Paul win eight finals before James Harden does, just because it would be funny to me. But I am getting over that pettiness, and I am just rooting for Giannis, because this is who Giannis is. This quote right here, I think, speaks volumes about who he is. From my experience, right, like when I think about like, oh, yeah, I'm, I did this, I, you know, I, I'm so great. I had uh, 30, I had 25, 10 and 10 or whatever the case might be, because you're going to think about that. Oh, we want this and that. Usually the next day you're going to suck. Right. You know, uh, simple as that. You like the next few days you're going to be terrible. And uh, I figured out like a mindset to have that, like when you focus on the past, that's your ego. I did this. You know, um, 
we were able to, you know, um, beat this team for all. We, we did, I did this in the past. I won that in the past. And when I focus in the future, it's my pride. Like, yeah, next game, game five, I do this and this and this. Right. You know, I'm going down. That's your pride talking. Like, you, it doesn't happen. Like, you're right here. And um, I kind of, like, try to focus in the, you know, in the moment, in the present. And that's humility. That's being humble. That's not setting no expectation. That's going out there and enjoying the game, competing at a high level. That is good advice. Don't rest on the past. Focus on what's next. So maybe we could sub in Giannis for uh, Emmanuel Acho. So thinking about what you did in the past is ego. Talking about what you're going to do in the future is pride. And your best folk, your best idea is to focus on where you are in the present because that will allow you to achieve the most. That sounds. That sounds. Yeah. That I'm is on board it. With that. Yeah. That will allow you to do what you want to do, and become who you are. <laughs> God, Mora. <laughs> I'm also furious at the text line because they're all. It makes perfect sense, Danny. It's it can make sense, cookie. but it's no, also it's insufferable. It's stupid. I think it's more insufferable than stupid. Maura, right, what do you I've got? I've got one we can agree on. I'm going to raise a flag for Scott Service for uh, not just letting the Hector Santiago thing slide when he was asked about it. Yeah, Hector's done a great job for us all year. Uh, I said from when this, first thing, this thing first happened, how ridiculous I thought this was. And uh, unfortunate they decided to choose Hector Santiago as, as the guy they want to make an example out of, which is just crazy. But uh, it is what it is. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> the best was Paul's tweet where he had he, it was like a cartoon of a lamb. Oh yeah, tied it was up. like from like a from like a 1600s painting, <laughs> like a said, sacrificial lamb. And it said, "Hi, I'm Hector Santiago. You might wonder why I got into this <laughs> position." It was really funny. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, that is going to do it for us. We want to thank Brock Heward, the Professor John Clayton. No thanks to Emmanuel Acho and his dime store psychology. And all <laughs> of you people on the text line defending him. You're all insane. <laughs> Up Maura, next. Mora, who keeps us on the sunshiny track of life. And Paul Gallant, who is not going to focus on tomorrow, nor dwell on what happened yesterday, but focus on the here and now and what's next. That is true. And he is Danny O'Neill. And yeah, I guess he's not going to be buying a Mercedes anytime soon. Uh, so that's what no, I'll he doesn't endorse right? Mercedes. What does he advertise? Oh, it's something like an infinity. I don't know. Some sort <laughs> oh, wow. of off-brand wanted. Just, no, I'm just you're kidding. Just, you're just dumping on all the cars. This is classic. Compassion is what we need. To be empathetic <laughs> is to care about others. That commercial is so bad. I hate it. All right. Uh, that is Danny O'Neill. Up next, just me. Put yourself in Mitch Hanniger's shoes. If offered one, would you sign an extension with the Mariners? Be honest with yourself. <laughs> Danny is his occupation, so he doesn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> that person's funny. So long. Farewell. You'll hear us both tomorrow at 7.